You are not a sheep. In case you wondered, I'm just clearing that up. You are not a sheep. But sometimes uh, you act like one. And so do I. Last week we kicked off a series called When Life Gives You Lemons by Actually Making Lemonade, which was kind of fun. And by the way, I had lemons left over. I made more this week because it was so good. Uh, anyway, sorry you missed it. We talked about how God keep, doesn't keep lemons from our lives. Like he allows bad things to happen in our lives. And he does that because those bad things, that trouble, that struggle is necessary for us to grow. You have to have lemons if you're going to make lemonade. And it's the process of working through those challenges, working through those struggles that produces the benefits of perseverance and character and hope. We actually need lemons to become the best version of ourselves. And so today we're going to continue that series and we're going to talk a little bit more specifically about the trouble and the struggle that comes into our lives and how God can help us make lemonade out of those lemons. So um, I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but in a couple weeks, I'm going to turn 48 years old. I know, I feel it, believe me. But I want to tell you that even though um, I am almost 50, uh, <laughs> even though I'm almost 50, I, like, I'm not really afraid of the dark. Uh, I sleep with the lights off. Okay, I, I'm not really worried to turn most of the lights off in the house at night when we go to bed. And so that doesn't really bother me. It doesn't freak me out much. Now, um, I do lock the exterior doors and own a gun, so that helps. Um, but I don't, I'm not really, like, afraid of the dark. It doesn't really, like, freak me out. But there are a few times, a few cases when it does. So if I am in a building that is a big building, and it's nighttime, and it's dark, and I'm in there alone, or at least I think I'm alone, because can you ever really know if you're in a big building by yourself or not? Uh, like every movie starts out with a person being sure that they're alone, and then the clown shows up and you die. So um, I just don't like being in that position, like in a big building at night, and it's dark, and it just kind of freaks me out. Um, and so I do that thing where... You're not really scared, but you're not really comfortable either. And so it's like, oh, I'm tough. I'm a guy. You know, I'm, I'm almost 50. I can handle this. So I'm not going to run because then that's what a sissy would do. Um, but I'm not going to just walk because that's what an idiot would do. Um, and so I do that, you know, like, like a speed walking thing. Um, and so I like get to wherever I'm going really quick. Just because like being in the dark sometimes just freaks me out. And you never know what's around the corner. And it just gets you on edge, right? And so your heart begins to beat a little faster. And, and maybe you've noticed that or experienced that. Uh, at some point you've, you've felt on edge at, at some time. And maybe it's not the dark for you. Maybe it's some other situations in your life where you just feel like, like, that, you know, it's creeping in and like, oh no, what's going to happen? Maybe you felt that impending doom, the, the grip of darkness and tension of evil. Uh, you're trying to be brave on the outside, right? Like you don't want anybody to know. And I'm trying to be brave, but on the inside, like you're running at a full sprint out the door, screaming as loud as you can. Maybe that's just me. 
The trouble that comes into our lives can be pretty terrifying, like being in a dark building at night when you don't know who else is there, like death itself is creeping up behind you. But it's in those moments where there's the possibility for just this incredible panic and pressure that we actually have access to the greatest peace. We just have to remember that God is with us. And so it's in those moments where, where panic is the, the highest, where the, the opportunity for terror is, is at its peak, that we actually can experience this incredible peace of God but we have to remember that even in those moments, God is with us. Now, I really want to get into our passage today, and, and you're going to know it. It's Psalm 23, so if you want to get your phones out of your pad or uh, Bible or whatever and go to Psalm 23, that's cool. I really want to get to that today, but I think before we get to that, we need to understand what's going on in, in the life of the author of Psalm 23. So David, King David, uh, much of the Old Testament is taken up with him. He was the beloved king of, of Israel. In fact, the Bible says that he was a man after God's own heart. And, and, and he is, um, he's the guy who wrote Psalm 23. So let me give you a little background on, uh, on David's life. When David is just a boy, probably in his teen years, he is a shepherd for his father. He's the youngest of his father's kids. And so he got the dirty job of uh, tending the sheep and going out and leading them to water. And we'll talk about that in, in just a few minutes. But it was when he was this young teenage boy that the prophet Samuel came and anointed him as the next king of Israel. Now that would typically be like a big deal. Like if you were anointed king of whatever of the U.S., that would be great. Like you'd be telling your friends and it would be really cool. But it really wasn't like that for David because he wasn't a member of the king's family, like the current king's family. So King Saul was the king and David is this guy over here that nobody knows about and nobody cares about. He's the youngest son of his father. He's just like this obscure person and he gets anointed as the next king. And look, if you're the king on the throne, what are you going to do? You're going to pass the kingdom on to your son, not to this guy over here that nobody knows. And so there's some tension there, right? Like David can't run out and go, hey, guess what? I'm the new king. That's it, uh, end of David's life, right? Like, not good. So all of this stuff happens, and you probably heard the story of David. So he kills a lion, he kills a bear, he kills Goliath. He becomes a, a harp player in the court of King Saul. Like, he's crazy, like, I'm going to be the next king, and I'm playing the harp for the king. It's crazy. Eventually, Saul um, kind of finds out what's going on with David, figures out he's going to be the next king. He's been anointed by God, and Saul starts to get jealous of David and all of his accomplishments, and soon Saul decides, I got to kill David off. I got to get rid of him, and so he starts to do that, and David spends much of his 20s fleeing King Saul. Like He's out in the uh, desert of Israel. He's hiding in caves. He's running around. He's going to foreign nations and trying to get in there just to keep from dying at the hand of King Saul. Now eventually Saul dies in a battle and all of his sons die with him in that battle and David becomes king. And you think, oh, he's king. His uh, struggles are finally over, but that's not the case. Like Israel was at war with all the nations around him 
while David was king. And so David did a lot of fighting. They were always going to battle with some other nation. And when things kind of calmed down, David was just uh, chilling out at the palace one day and he sees that lady, you know the story of Bathsheba, where he sees her, she's taking a bath up on the roof. Like, I'm sorry. And I would not say this, I probably shouldn't say that anyway. Okay, let me think. Okay, anyway, look, I'm just gonna say this. If you take a bath outside, and some guy sees you, I'm just going to say, that's probably on you, right? I mean, if you're going to set a bathtub up in your front yard and take a bath, somebody sees you, probably your fault. That's why bathrooms are inside, okay? So Bathsheba is chilling out on the roof of her house, taking a bath upstairs, and David sees her, well, then it's on, right? And so David and ba- David has an affair with this married woman, Bathsheba, and then he goes out and kills her husband, and then the two of them get together, like he moves her into the palace, and everything's cool, and then, like David's worst nightmare, like committing a sin, like when we commit sin, I don't know if you're like me, but I'm like, it's going to be cool, like nobody will know, or whatever, it's going to be all right. Like the worst thing about committing a sin is having that sin found out, right? So David goes through this whole process and he thinks nobody knows, it's cool. And then Nathan, God's prophet, walks in one day. And he's like, hey David, uh, what's going on? And he tells David this story about this guy who took a sheep from somebody else and then killed the guy. And he's like, what should we do with him? And David's like, kill him. And Nathan goes, it's you that I'm talking about. You know that panic and terror that we talked about a minute ago? Uh, That's David in that moment. Oh no, God knows what I did with Bathsheba and he knows what I did uh, with her husband Uriah and this is not good and this is impending doom. Like this is really, uh, this is really bad. So Nathan says, because of what you did with Bathsheba, because you killed Uriah, Bathsheba's firstborn son is gonna die. David's son is gonna die. And so they lose him. And things go on the rest of David's reign. It's pretty good until kind of towards the end of David's life, the end of his reign as the king, when David's son Absalom kills his half-brother Amnon. Now there's a reason he did it, and and Amnon deserved it. He, he, He raped his sister, and so Absalom killed him. Okay, that's what you get, I guess. And um, so it was justified, right, in that day. But this was still David's son that died, and so he has a, a difficult time with that. Well, Absalom then rallies all the people of Israel... And he's going to take over the throne from his father David. And as he's marching into Jerusalem, David and those closest to him flee the city. And once again, David is out in the wilderness hiding from the king. He kind of ends his life a little bit like he started it. Hiding in the desert while hunted by the king. And many believe that it is during this second time in David's life where he's fleeing out in the desert that he writes the 23rd psalm and there's at least a chance that you already know this psalm or you've heard it before it's probably pretty familiar it's one of the most quoted uh, chapters or sections of the bible you hear it at funerals all the time and so let's just read it together uh, and we'll jump in here David writes this most likely as he's in a cave somewhere, hiding from his son Absalom. 
The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Here's what I kind of walk away with from Psalm 23. And, and I've made it the bottom line for today. And so if you can just remember this and hold on to this, you'll have something good to take with you this week. Here's the bottom line. With God, the peace within me is greater than the storms around me. I think if we had to sum up the 23rd Psalm, that would be a good way to sum it up. The peace of God within me is greater than the storms around me. I think we see here in David's song, someone who has been around. David's had his ups and his downs. He's been faced with a bunch of troubles. Some of those troubles by chance and some of those troubles by choice. But David has learned over the years that regardless of what is going on around him, there can be peace within him because God is with him. So David starts out like this, the Lord is my shepherd. And I love the personal way that David starts this psalm out because he doesn't say that God is this shepherd of all people and the flock of humanity and all of creation. He says, God is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. It's personal. It's a personal relationship that David has with God. Now here in Kansas, um, there are sheep. Like if you drive around, you'll see uh, fields of crops and you'll see cows and you'll see sheep. And so sheep are pretty common, I think. But we even today have a hard time understanding the, the sheep shepherd uh, analogy in scripture. But think about it uh, this way. The entire nation of Israel was commanded by God in the Old Testament to sacrifice most often a sheep when they did something wrong. They sin, and then you have to go buy a sheep, and then you have to kill it, and you have to put your sin on that sheep in a symbolic way, and then they kill the sheep, and then your sin is paid for, right? The blood of the lamb pays for your sin. So um, think about it this way. Just imagine there's about 14,000, uh, somewhere around there, people in the city limits of El Dorado. Uh, let's just say that um, our city commission decides that every time we do something wrong, we got to kill a sheep. Two things would happen, right? N number one, the uh, sheep shepherd industry in El Dorado would boom, right? Because <laughs> like, we know ourselves, <laughs> Like, there'd be, we'd need a lot of sheep if we had to kill a sheep every time we sinned. Um, secondly, none of us would have any money because we'd be broke uh, from buying sheep. So those two things would, would happen. And so the sheep industry in El Dorado and around would just go crazy because we'd be sacrificing sheep all the time. Um, think about Israel and hundreds of thousands of people. And every time they sin, they kill a sheep and it's this big deal. So shepherding was a big, big industry. Everybody knew about it. Even though shepherds in that day had a poor reputation, their work was needed and it was plentiful. Because here's the thing about sheep. Sheep are not the brightest animals um, in the world. And I'd really like to tell you some stories that I read about sheep, but we don't have time. So just take my word for it. Uh, sheep do some pretty dumb things. And, and they, they are smart. In fact, I, I read that sheep are on, uh, they're not as smart as pigs. Um, they're about as smart as cows, uh, according to 
like, I don't know, pig, sheep, psychologist or something. Uh, that's what they say anyway. But there's some really dumb things that sheep uh, do. So a herd of sheep being kept in the desert areas of Israel had to be led to water. Like they couldn't just find water on their own typically. They had to be led to water. And, and then at times, those same sheep would have to be rescued from water. I, I read that the sheep, as their wool got bigger, uh, it could get dirt and different things in it. And if they walked into a body of water, they could just walk too deep and, and like they couldn't breathe, you know? And even though their feet are on the ground, um, how did the guy say it? They're too dumb to know they can't breathe water. And so they don't get out of the water and they drown themselves instead of turning around. You know in the movies where the guy falls into water and he's screaming, oh, and then he realizes the water's only a couple feet deep and he can just stand up? That's like what sheep do. And, and so sheep have to be rescued out of the water that they've been led to to drink. And so the shepherd has to be watching all the time. And when the sheep are grazing around those places of water, because remember Israel is a desert, and so the shepherds have to lead them to uh, oasis places where there's water, and where there's water, there's vegetation, there's place for them to lay down in the shade and that kind of thing. And so they get all this stuff kind of in one place. But while they're grazing there, typically in a valley where the creek runs through, they're uh, prone to be attacked by prey. So the shepherd has to be constantly watching, constantly vigilant of the sheep, or they might get picked off. So he has to lead them to food and water. Uh, he has to protect them while they're there. And then to save them overnight, he takes them back to the sheep pen um, and brings them in. And so the sheep-shepherd relationship is a very close relationship. In fact, sheep can know the voice of their shepherd. They can um, listen when they hear the shepherd call. They know that voice. They can respond to it. And many of the sheep in a herd will pretend like the shepherd is the alpha and they will stick very close to him. In this um, kind of flock or herd mentality. So that relationship is pretty important because that's how the sheep survive in this difficult climate. Here at Real Life, our mission is to help every person possible find real life in Jesus and look more like him every day. And we believe that if you have the opportunity to meet Jesus and to experience him like the rest of us have, you'll find exactly what we have found. You'll find grace and mercy and hope and salvation. You'll find real life just like we have. Because while Jesus died for our sins, the sins of the world, he also died for you. And he wants to have a personal relationship with you. He wants to be involved in your life. He wants to be involved in your decisions and your actions. And he wants what's best for you like a good shepherd. Because of his personal relationship with us and, and what David understood in his relationship with his shepherd, God, David says this at the end of that first sentence. He said, I lack nothing. Now, to be fair, there were times in David's life when he was hiding from King Saul that he lacked a lot of stuff. He lacked food. He lacked water. And, and, and when he thought he might literally die, he lacked that peace. Like, there were several times where he thought, this is it. This is the end. I'm not going to get out of this. But even in those times, he knew that God had the, the ability to miraculously do what David could only dream. 
And I think that's why David never forced his way onto the throne of Israel. He had multiple opportunities to kill Saul and become king, but he waited for God to make him king because David knew what you and I need to learn. And it's this, if I need it in my life, God will provide it in his time. That's probably the most difficult thing to do, isn't it? As a believer, to come to this place in our lives where we go, if, if I need it in my life, God will provide it in his time. We don't do that well, right? Am I the only one? <laughs> I don't wait well. I just, I like, okay, if this is what's next, I want to get into that. I want to do it. I want to move on. And I just don't wait for those things very well. And yet David is this perfect example, this great example of somebody who waited for things, okay, except for Bathsheba. He didn't do a very good job with that. Um, But most of the time in his life, he waited for God to provide it. And he would just go, if this is what God wants for me, if this is what I need in my life, God is going to bring it to me. David had to learn to trust God, and he had learned that because of God's work in his life. And so I picture David in some cave somewhere in the wilderness, thinking about God's faithfulness to him over the years as he writes these next few lines. He says this of God, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me along right paths. Anybody want to be able to say that? Anybody want to go, that, I'd like that right now in my life. Yeah, I'm, I'm like, yes, please. I want to be able to relax. I'm tired of just working all the time and thinking about the bills and what needs to happen and what's coming up. I need to just be by the quiet waters sometimes. I need my soul to be refreshed. I need to be guided along the right paths because I'm not doing a very good job sometimes of choosing those paths for myself. You look at this and go, okay, where does God lead David. He leads him to green pastures where there's food. And he leads him to quiet waters where there's drink. He provides contentment through having his needs met, right? When our needs are met, we feel more content. And that refreshes his soul. And then knowing, David says, knowing that when it's time to move, God will lead me along right paths, safe paths. This is how God leads us. And this is what God wants for us. And and all of this stuff that David says screams one thing. We talked about it in our bottom line. I think it screams peace. Like David's like, look, when I do what God wants me to, when I follow God, this is what I get. And it's all wonderful. I could get to enjoy this peace of God and it's amazing. But look at what he says, the very next thing. He says this, uh, he leads me, he guides me, he refreshes my soul. And then he says, even though I walk through the darkest valley. So God leads me to all these incredible places that that relax me and refresh me, but I walk through the darkest valley. David's talked about all these great places God has led him and then seems to admit that sometimes he goes off on his own and gets himself into trouble. God's lead, God leads me to these great places of rest and contentment, but I walk through dark valleys. I'll just bet, I don't know, but I'll just bet 
that most of us in this room this morning would go, yeah, that's me. I know what God wants for me and I know where God's wanted to leave me, but I've walked through some pretty dark valleys. I know where God wants to take me, but I've gone my own way. The truth is that even when we're used to following God, we sometimes want things that are off the right path and away from the quiet waters. And, and, and so I, I wonder, I think about it, it's like, how, how is it that when we're enjoying green pastures and a refreshed soul, that we can give it up for an addiction that leads us to death's door? We experience the goodness of God and then we ditch it for the comfort of a woman or a man who leads us into evil. We experience the blessings of God and then, and then because of ignorance or greed or discontent or, or pride, we walk off into valleys and darkness that will never satisfy. We see that all the time in life, don't we? We've got this great thing that God provides and then we, we go over here. Yeah, uh, yeah. That's cool, but I'd really like this. Maybe you're there today. Maybe you're in the dark and you can't see the sun. Because, like in Israel, you've walked into a dark valley. You chose your addiction over God's provision. You. You chose someone's affection over your relationship with God. You chose the excitement of the unknown over the God who knows best for you. And once again, you find yourself in the dark. I think David had his fair share of valleys in his life. Lust, murder, anger, impatience, fear. Here's what David learned from those lemons that came into his life, often at his own hand. He learned that even in those times when he walked off God's path, he couldn't walk away from God's presence. Let that sink in for a minute. Even when we walk off God's path, we can't walk away from his presence. God was with David even when he walked away from God. And because of that reality, David says this, I will fear no evil because you are with me always. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now the rod, um, by the way, because he mentions it in the text, the rod was used for discipline and for direction. Okay? The rod was used to correct the sheep. In fact, the rod end uh, usually had a kind of point on it, and so you could poke the sheep and get them to go where you wanted to. You could also guide them with the rod so that they would go in the right direction. And the rod uh, was also used, they called it a staff, because on the other, other end it had the shepherd's crook. You, you know that, you've seen that before. And that shepherd's crook was used for deliverance. So when a sheep would fall off a cliff and would be stuck down there, would go into the water and, and would be a little difficult to get, the shepherd could take that crook and stick it in and grab the sheep and pull it back to safety so it was two ends of the same stick one with a poke and one with a hook and God has to do the same with us right 
When we go off the path and, and we go into the darkness, sometimes we need God to rescue us and, and use that crook and pull us. And, and sometimes God is disciplining us and directing us to keep us from getting into that valley. God's discipline and deliverance was a comfort to David because it proved to him that God would never leave him or forsake him even when he walked down a dark path. Now, I don't know the darkness that you've been in in your life. But I do know the darkness. And I know, as David did, that even though you've walked off of God's path, you've never been out of his presence. Because God loves you so incredibly much. In fact, God gave his best for you. He gave his best, his son, to you because he wants the best for you. And even though we'd all like to live in the peace of God, trust is developed through trouble. Trust is developed in, through those times that we get ourselves into trouble. And that's why he doesn't walk away from us when we walk away from him, because that's who our shepherd is. He does what's best for us because of who he is, not because of who we are. And because of that, there is no valley too deep or darkness too thick to scare God away from loving you. And I think if you'll pause for a second this morning, you'll find out that God has always been with you, that he has never left you or forsaken you even when you've left him. And so maybe it's time to come back, to stop walking in the dark valleys and turn back to the light. And if you're ready to do that today, I believe that God is ready to welcome you and comfort you and refresh you and lead you to those quiet waters and lead you to those green pastures and restore your soul. So if you're ready to walk with Jesus, to be a sheep to his shepherd, we want to know about that. Because we'd love to have you take a minute to go to reallifecc.us on your mobile device and then click on next steps and then I'm ready. There's some info there on that page that, um, that, that will help give you an understanding of what God might have for your next step with him. And then at the bottom of that page, there's a short form we'd love to have you fill out where you can share your decision with us because we want to help you take your next steps toward Jesus. And, and if you're ready to be baptized, you can get to that link from that same place. Adam said earlier we're going to do baptisms on June 30th as a part of the pool party uh, that we're having then, and you can register for that while you're on that site as well. I want you to think about this. Those of you who are maybe a part of real life and have, and have been a part of real life. Think of the countless lives that have been impacted over the years by David's prayer. This simple prayer that he gives while he's out in the desert. The Lord is my shepherd. David's prayer is recognized. People have been impacted because of where David had been and how God had always been with him. And I want you to think about 
just this little bit. You can have that same impact in the life of other people. Like David's prayer, you can impact people's lives. And it's not when you just tell them, hey, I went to church on Sunday and we talked about lemons. But it happens when you share your story with other people. When, when you tell them, hey, hey, look, I've gone my own direction. I've gone off my own path. And, and I know the good that God has for me, but I've done my own thing. And here's what I know, that even in the darkest valley, God is with me. That his presence is there, that I can trust in him even when I don't trust myself. Even when I know I've gone off the wrong, I've, just, I've gone off and I've done my own thing, I know that God is with me. And as we tell our story to other people, that's what helps to change their lives and their perception of God. It's not how many times we go to church or how good we are, or how much we give. It's that story of, look, I made a mistake. I blew it. I went off my own way. And God still loved me. When you can share that, when you can learn to trust God in the middle of your trouble, then the lemons in your life become lemonade. Let's pray. God, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for the times where, where you've led me and maybe led us to green pastures and quiet waters where you've restored our soul, where you've, where you've done your best to lead us along good paths. And I thank you that even when I've gone my own way, I've done my own thing, that, that I knew the good I ought to do and I didn't do it, that I knew the way I ought to go and I didn't take it. And I gave in to the same old stuff again and again. I thank you that your faithfulness, that your presence was there with me. And I thank you, God, that in the midst of those wrong decisions, those poor decisions, those darkest places in my life that you were making lemonade out of my lemons. That all along through my life you were taking those bad decisions those different directions and you were turning them into something better for me. God, I pray that we would experience that as a people. God, if there is someone here today who's, who's in the dark and they're, 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 they've left the path and, and maybe they even desperately want to have that peace and, and, and to be in green pastures and to, to have those quiet waters and that refreshing that comes from being in a right relationship with you, we still choose the wrong thing. And so God, would you just... Would you use that rod and that staff, whichever one is necessary, to bring us back to you? 
Would we be faithful to follow God? Would we allow you to use those struggles and troubles in our lives to bring about something good for you, for your kingdom, for others, and for us? Would you help us trust you in the good times and the bad? In Jesus' name, amen. I know it's typically a time in the service where we're thinking about, hey, it's almost over and we're going to get up and go. But I want you to take a minute. The, the band is going gonna, is gonna to play this last song. And, and normally they just kind of do a verse or so and wrap up. But we're going to have them do the whole song this time. And, and I just want you to take a few minutes. Um, stand, sit, whatever. But take a few minutes and think about where you're at in your life. Are you in a time like David where you're in the quiet places and you've been refreshed and, and, and you're experiencing that or are you in one of those dark places that David talks about? Whatever your story, your first step toward Jesus could be the next step that you take. But you're gonna have to take it. Whatever that is, you're going to have to say, okay, God, I, I don't know what's going on. I don't want to know what's next. I haven't got it all figured out, but I'm going to take this step. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to go your direction. Do you need to come back to him this morning? Do you need to go further with him? You make that decision today. And maybe while they're playing the song, you can take a minute as you think through that process and, and go to reallifecc.us and follow those prompts there and make sure that you let us know what your next step is because we want to help you through that process and do everything we can, do everything we can to make sure that you're enjoying the real life in Christ that he's called you to and that you're taking the opportunity to turn those lemons in your life into lemonade. So take the next few moments while we sing this song.